Thanks for joining us for the Long Island Sound Podcast. Each week we explore new music and dive deeper with the artists and their stories behind the music. Please subscribe and rate and review us wherever you stream this podcast. Here's your host, Steve Yusko. I'm telling you, you're not going to want to miss this episode. I have Robin Wilson from the Gin Blossoms. Robin's getting inducted to the Long Island Music and Entertainment Hall of Fame. The Gin Blossoms have such great songs like Allison Road, Follow You Down, Found Out About You, and Hey Jealousy. Man, I'm telling you, I had a great time, and I had my co-host, Peter Mancini, a big fan of the Gin Blossoms, join me to add some spice to this interview. So how about a little taste of the Gin Blossoms? Here's their song, Hey Jealousy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Long Island Sound. I'm Steve Yusko, your host, and today is a really special day. We have a true rock legend. We have Robin Wilson from the Gin Blossoms, and uh, Robin is being inducted to the Long Island Music and Entertainment Hall of Fame. 
I also have a special guest co-hosting with me, Peter Mancini. And uh, guys, great to have you here. Uh, this little three-way interview is uh, is pretty uh, legendary uh, in a way. So, right on. Thanks for having us. Hello. Nice to see you guys. Uh, hello. I'm in Chicago right now. How are things on Long Island? I miss it. Uh, I miss it. It's been a wacky summer. I mean, we've, it's been a little sweltery lately, uh, a lot of rain, but uh, the weekend this past weekend was great. I've just finished building a beautiful home recording studio, and my son and I are anxious to get in there and uh, tweak it out and make some Nice. Music. Nice. Now, let's roll back the pages just a little bit for our audience. I know um, things really began for you back in uh, Tempe, Arizona. And uh, that's where the gin blossoms really kind of took off. And just give us a little insight on, you know, how you got into the band and how you became uh, the front man, the lead singer for the band. Well, uh, Tempe had a pretty fun music scene uh, back in the 80s. It was, uh, it was a cool place to, uh, to grow up. It was a fabulous place to grow up. And the music scene was pretty fun, pretty diverse. And... I was working at record stores all through the 80s, and then I was an aspiring songwriter uh, doing open mic nights and going to see the local bands and a big, uh, a big supporter of the local music scene. And, uh, you know, when I was 18, 19, 20, 21 years old, that's all we did is we would go to concerts, we worked at the record store. We would go to see local shows, we'd go to open mic nights, and um, it was just music, music all the time. Um, I was in college at the time, too. I was majoring mm. in physics, and then um, some guys I knew from the Tower Records, pretty much all the musicians either hung out at Tower Records or, uh, or worked there, and so I knew Bill Lean, Jim Blossom's bass player. We went to the same high school. He was a few years ahead of me, but we knew each other working at Tower Records. And when the Jim Blossoms formed, I I wasn't in the band initially. I was trying to start a band with some friends of mine. And then one day I got a call from Bill. I was uh, I was working at a place called Zia Records, and Bill was literally across the street at Tower Records. And I answered the phone over at Zia, and he it was Bill, and he said, we want you to audition for Jim Blossoms. And they were a very exciting band. I was really impressed. I really loved the band. And then it was just a few months later um, in February that uh, the uh, they had to fire one of the original members and I had known Doug Hawkins and I knew Bill Lean and so Bill called me up and asked me to audition. That was a Wednesday night. I auditioned and then on we I got the job that night and then on Thursday we rehearsed and then Friday, Saturday and Sunday we played live. Trial, trial by fire, huh? Yeah, it was uh, it hit the ground running. I, um, I the, On the first night I did like eight or 10 songs with the band. And then the second night I did like 12 or 14 songs. And the third night I, I knew like 20 songs, you know, within a few weeks I had the whole set down and we were playing four or five nights a week, like right out of the gate. Mm. Within a few months, it became clear that I was not a very good guitar player. And I got the job because uh, when Jesse and I would sing together, uh, it was it was awesome, and so they figured that I would my guitar skills would improve, and they were improving rapidly. But Jesse and I would trade. I would give Jesse the guitar, and I would sing a couple songs, and then within a few months, I was singing like six or eight songs. And then one day, Jesse just came to me and said, "We're going to switch. You're going to be the lead singer, and I'm going to play guitar." And um, you know what a magnanimous uh, gesture on Jeffy's on Jesse's part. You know, have you have you ever heard of that happening? A lead singer of a rock band saying, "You can have my job and I'll do yours." I mean, it's it's unprecedented, uh, but it was a huge relief to me because again, I, as a guitar player, I was way out of my depth, and my dream was always to be a, a rock and roll frontman. So I 
found myself uh, with within a, within a few months of getting that call. Suddenly, I was the front man of the uh, the most exciting upcoming band in Arizona. Robin, what would you say was the band's break at that time? We got chosen by the local papers as the best rock band in Phoenix, and we were selected to represent the local. Uh, music papers uh, at South by Southwest and we put together a little tour around that run through Texas and that was when I had to uh, I had to drop out of college and so I you know I remember at the time I was I was taking physics calculus chemistry and I, mm. I was taking a voice training class because immediately I realized that I didn't really know how to sing um, I sounded good, but it was tearing my throat apart. And so I started taking a vocal training class, and then I had to go to my teacher, my my voice teacher, and say, uh, I'm not going to be able to finish this semester. Our band is is going on tour, and we're going to South by Southwest. And uh, I'll, I'll never forget, he got this sort of confused expression, and he said, so <laughs> you're in a real yeah. band. And... I was like, I was like, I, I, I just kind of shrugged nice. and I said, we got a shot. What a great story, Robin. Hey, let's take a short musical break and listen to the really fine vocals of Robin Wilson on the song, Follow You Down. We'll be right back after the song.
I got Robin, I got to ask you this. What I what I find really interesting about your story, one, one, the days of working in a record store are gone are gone by, but you had that experience of being exposed to all this different type of music, uh, and sometimes you get that. Uh, you know, an artist will get that in, in their home by their dad's record collection or their sister's. You know, I was influenced by my sisters who they liked and stuff like that. What would you say are the early influences that really kind of stuck with you and say, hey, you know what, I want to emulate that uh, as an artist? Well, uh, I mean, it started for me very young. Uh, the, 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 as a kid in the 70s, I'm sure you remember the Midnight Special. Absolutely. That was a, that was a big deal. And so we would stay up late on Friday nights. It came on at midnight in Arizona. Um, and I, I was in the third grade. I was eight years old. Oh, and man. We were going to sleep over at, at my neighbor's house. And we stayed up to watch the Midnight Special. And it was the night that the uh, video for Queen Bohemian Rhapsody debuted on the Midnight Special. And every neuron in my brain was firing as I saw that, uh, that video. And, um, by, by time the song was over, I knew that I wanted to be a rock singer. And, uh, it, it, had, it was my, it was my passion and my goal from, from that moment forward. Mm. Uh, but then, you know, as it went through phases, you know, sure. listened to a lot of arena rock as a kid, you know, Kiss and Queen and that sort of thing. And then um, when the, the movie The Urban, Urban Cowboy came out when I was a freshman in high school and my friends and all, uh, all of us, we started chewing tobacco and listening <laughs> to country music. And so I went through a country music phase. And then uh, by the time I was a junior in high school, I got really into New Wave, and I was listening to a, a lot of things like uh, Oingo Boingo and Duran Duran and U2. And, um, and then um, the day after I graduated from high school, I went to see uh, a concert. We went, to, um, we went to the Mesa Amphitheater to see The Fix open for A mm. Flock of Seagulls. Amazing. And that might be the most... That's probably the most 80s sentence I'm going to say uh, in this entire interview. But there was, before, before the concert began, we were, um, you know, they were playing music through the PA system. And a, a song came on uh, in between bands, and it was so amazing, and it just blew me away. So I, I went over to the uh, sound booth, and I asked the front of house engineer, what is this what is this song? And uh, in a very thick British accent, he said to me, that's Martha and the Muffins. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And so I went back to my friends. We were about 50 or so feet away from the mixing board where we were sitting. And I, I said, it's Martha and the Muffins. And then all of a sudden I heard somebody shouting to me, Hey, hey, mates, hey, mates. And I, I looked up, and that roadie was back at the mixing board. And he said, it's R.E.M. <laughs> and I was like, okay, all right. And so the song that I had been hearing at the time, was, that was Radio Free Europe uh. by R.E.M. Um, from their classic record, Murmur. So the very next day, I rode my motorcycle down to Tower Records, uh, this was just a few months before I got my job there, mm. um, and I bought I bought Murmur, and uh, I really got uh, REM. Ha, ever since that moment, has been one of the most important bands in 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 my library, and they were a touchstone for for Jim Blossoms uh, in our foundation. So it's a, that's a group that we've always tried to emulate. And um, and then also while working at the record store, uh, we listened to, like you said, we listened to everything. Sure. And that was the main the main advantage of working at the record store was that you got to hear everything, all the pop, all of the heavy metal, all of the hardcore new wave and punk and then everything else on top of it. I was put in charge of the folk blues and bluegrass 
sections at Tower Records, so I became somewhat schooled in those forms of music. And then for a year or so, I, I was in charge of the classical music section, and so I learned a lot about classical music. Um, but, you know, uh, being 20 years old and in the 80s working at a record store, mostly what you're going to be hearing and really into is uh, stuff like The Cure and The Cult and The Smiths and The Replacements and uh, the smithereens mm. and uh i would say that the replacements as much as any any band inspired uh, jim blossoms and uh fueled uh our songwriting and they were a touchstone for the type of band that that we wanted to be so um the re the replacements rem cheap trick uh, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, and that's you know that's where my head was when I, when I joined the band, um, you know, and of course I was still working at the record store, so we were hearing, uh, we heard things like you know the Pixies and Jane's Addiction, um, and then more underground stuff like uh, Scruffy the Cat and the Screaming Blue Messiahs and. Um, you know, it was a really exciting time, 1987, 1988. That, that was a really magical time for for alternative music. You know, was that, you know uh, to interrupt you, Robbie, it was kind of interesting for Tower Records at the time, and maybe you can confirm this. You know, back in the day when you went to a record store, it's basically what you heard on the radio is what you looked up, you know, the artist of the album. But I think Tower introduced, you know, having headsets and having people actually sample the music before they bought it. Is that right? Um, it, it could be. Um, I, at that point, I was working across the street at Zia Records. Okay. Um, as, a, as a humorous side note, I have the distinction of uh, probably being the only person ever to be fired from Tower Records twice. <laughs> so um, this, after the second time I lost my job at, at Tower Records, for, for nothing major, I just was, I just didn't know how to wake up to an alarm, and so I was late. That could be an and issue. And then, yeah. uh, I, I, fired, I got fired, and then a few months later, I managed to sweet-talk the manager into giving me my job back, and then about a year after that, I was, I was late again, and he just said, you're, you're done. God, so, it. um. Um, at that point, I was I was able to get a job over uh, across the street at Zia Records, which was a fabulous local chain. Sold mm. uh, uh, new and used records, and Zia was uh, was even a little bit more cool in certain ways than than Tower. And uh, so I worked at Zia for a few years, and then by that point, I was in Jim Blossoms. I didn't get along with my boss very well at the time. And so I quit my job and I got a job uh, at another record store in Mesa, Arizona called Rockaway Records. And I was working at Rockaway um, for about a year. The band was uh, very active in those days. That's, it was during that time that, I was, uh, that we went to South by Southwest and we got uh, awarded Best of Phoenix by the Phoenix New Times. And our first album, Dusted, was released, and I'll never forget the day that I was working at the record store and a box of our albums arrived, and oh, I got cool. to like unbox my our band's album and like put it on the rack, nice. and you know open one up and put it on the stereo for the whole store to hear, and you know <laughs> it was high fives all around, and it was a very cool moment and um i'll never forget at the time one of the records we were playing all the time at rockaway records was the smithereens 11 a fantastic album and also right around that time the manager of the store he put on a a record that really helped a couple of records that really helped push me in the right direction as a songwriter and a singer he played uh, Sam Cooke live at the Harlem Club. Oh, great album. And I had, of course, heard so many of those songs, but um, that Sam Cooke record blew, blew my mind, and I learned virtually every song on that album. And then another record that came out at that time uh, was by Graham Parker. It was called Struck by Lightning. Uh, just a fabulous record, and... 
so uh, you know I I associate those days of that working at uh, Rockway Records and the early days of Jim Blossoms um, Graham Parker Sam Cooke the Smithereens you know just that was that was in my head all the time and as a side note um, there's a really fabulous video of me doing an interview from Rockaway Records in 1989. It's on YouTube. Oh, if cool. anybody wants to search for Robin Wilson interview 1989, uh, it's it's a it's a really beautiful snapshot in time. You know, like I I answered the phone and I'm like, yes, we do have Violent Femmes on cassette, <laughs> and you know. It's a, it's a really fun interview. There was a, a friend of mine who was a part of the local scene, and he was one of the first guys in town to buy a video camera. And he oh, went wow. around like documenting the whole music scene. And he showed up at Rockaway Records uh, one day when I was working there. And, and uh, anyway, this, this interview is, is out there, and it, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty funny, the, the shit I have to say. So. <laughs> I'll definitely include that in the description links for our uh, audience to check out. Please, you know. please do. It won't be. It shouldn't be. Shouldn't be hard to find. And you know, you get a glimpse in when you hear that interview. You get a real glimpse into uh, like the early days of the band. This was before we had a recording contract. Mm. Um, I think I I say something like you know my my ambition with Jim Blossoms is uh, to get a van so we can go on tour. <laughs> Um, you know, like that's how small the world uh, was. Then, obtainable you know? goals, right? <laughs> yeah, you would think so. But um, anyway, so that's that's a glimpse into the early days, you know. I relate to that a lot, just having that experience of, you know, going to the record store. That's where I heard the replacements and, you know, R.E.M. and Big Star and the Gin Blossoms and, you know, finding those early records, like, you know, in the early days of absorbing all that music, you know, that that was an awesome time, you know, uh, playing my first bands. Yeah, it surely was. And uh, you mentioned Big Star. When we got signed to A&M Records, uh, you know, we were, they would ask us, you know, what producers do you want to work with? And uh, one of the names we floated was uh, Don Dixon, who had worked with uh, R.E.M. and the Smithereens and Marshall Crenshaw and done so many other great records. But, mm. you know, we floated a bunch of, uh, another name was Ed Stasium, who produced the Smithereens. And, uh, many other great records from that era, um, and but we hadn't decided on someone, and then they they came to us and they wanted us to remix a song. They had a guy at a studio in Memphis uh, named John Hampton, and he was going to remix one of our songs for a movie soundtrack. And so John remixed uh, the tune, and I remember talking with Jesse, our guitar player, and Jesse. And I were talking about producers, and he said, "Well, this John Hampton guy, he's uh, he's in Memphis at Arden Studios. This is this is the guy that recorded Tommy Keene and the Replacements, and this mm. is the studio that Big Star mm. worked at, and everything else disappeared. And we were like, that's that's the choice. And uh, if we can be a part of that legacy." Um, work with the engineer who recorded the replacements and Tommy Keene in the studio that Big Star was born in. That's the path for us. So we uh, obviously went on to record four records with John Hampton. He became a, a really big part of our life, uh, a, a very close friend to me. I miss him dearly. Mm. And we, uh, we spent a lot of time in Memphis, and we became a, a part of the Ardent Studios uh, family. Uh, the manager of the studio is Jody Stevens, who is the original drummer of Big Star. And so, you know, to, uh, you know, to, to have these kinds of uh, friendships and to be able to participate in that sort of legacy, um, you know, beyond anything we've accomplished commercially as a band, it's, it's always been those types of connections that have meant the most to me. Uh, you know, again, starting out just as a, a as a guy who just wanted to be in a local band and wanted to be like my heroes, to uh, to have been able to uh, you know participate uh, on this level was is 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 what's more important to me than any 
like commercial success that we've uh, managed to pull off. Right on. Hey, Robin, I'd like I'd like to take a quick break. And when we come back, I want to talk about the impact of MTV video and your debut playing on Saturday Night Live. Stick with us, everyone. More to come with Robin Wilson and my co-host, Pete Mancini. Calling all music enthusiasts. Long Island is a wellspring of talent, and the Long Island Sound Podcast is here to celebrate its vibrant music scene. Tune in to discover the stories behind Long Island's incredible musicians, their creative process, and the iconic venues that make the music come live. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, Steve Yusko, your not-so-humble host, with Robin Wilson of the Gin Blossoms. So happy to have Robin Wilson and my co-host. Pete Mancini, and before the break, uh, it's interesting, and when you were talking about that interview you did uh, at the record store when your friend had the video, it sparked a question in my mind about the impact of video, MTV, and, and particularly you playing for Saturday Night Live. So tell me the impact of video, at least in music, and, and how it helped, or how things get influenced with that. It's just because it's a different dynamic. Well, um, but before I get into that, mm. I should uh, I should let you know that my entire connection to Long Island, yeah, please, is related directly to my uh, experiences at MTV. Oh, oh interesting. Um, my my ex-wife, her name is Jenna Rossitano. Uh, she worked at MTV, and I met her when Jim Blossoms were there in 1993 to perform on the very first episode of the John Stewart show. Oh wow. And so Love the, John. the main guest the main guest was uh, was Howard Stern and we were the musical guest and that was the day that I met my ex-wife. She's from Valley Stream, New York. Okay. Um, we started dating pretty much like right away and I began spending time in uh, on Long Island uh, in 1994. And uh, her close friend, uh, Beth McCarthy, was a director on the Jon Stewart show. And she, soon after that, got a job directing Saturday Night Live. Wow, amazing. And so Beth was the one who was, at the time, she was director at SNL from like 95 through somewhere around 2000. And Beth was the one that lobbied very heavily for us, for Jim Blossoms, to appear on Saturday Night Live. And so even though we had a hit record and we were with a major label, so we would have been uh, a choice to be considered anyway for Saturday Night Live, but I, I have no doubt that the reason we did get on that show is because of Beth, who was uh, Jenna's very close friend. And then soon after we appeared, which was in March of 96 when we did Saturday Night Live, um, Jenna, uh, Beth hired Jenna at Saturday Night Live, and Jenna has been the floor director at Saturday Night Live since the fall of 1996. Mm. And so my son basically has grown up in NBC, and I'm the least famous person that (laughs) he and my ex-wife even know. Um, And so, uh, you know, my... My whole, my life obviously changed. I mean, a marriage would do that for in, in many ways, but um, I, I've been living on Long Island for all these years um, because of having met my ex-wife at MTV that day. Mm. And um, also, as a side note, again, I, uh, we appeared on the Jon Stewart show um, when Jen and I got married, we had uh, John ordained as a minister, and he performed our wedding ceremony in her parents' backyard uh, in Valley Street. That awesome. oh, that's great. What a great story. <laughs> and that's that's where I live now. My my uh, in-laws passed away, uh, and Jenna inherited the house, and it became the, uh, the the right thing for our family for me to move in to her childhood home. 
And so now I'm the steward of the Rossitano family home, and uh, that's where John Stewart married us back in 1996. Oh, so go figure. What a great story. Yeah. That's <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, MTV. You know, uh, I got a pretty intimate connection to that place. Jenna worked there from. Uh, I think she started uh, working there in 1985 or so. And she was a part of many of the most exciting things that ever happened at MTV. She was the floor director uh, for most of the game shows, like Singled Out. Mm. And uh, she was the floor director on shows like uh, Yo! MTV Raps and Headbangers Ball and The John Stewart Show. And uh, she would do Spring Break and... Um, uh, then eventually, once she started working at uh, Saturday Night Live, she would do freelance work for MTV, and she would still do things like Spring Break, or the um, uh, Super Bowl halftime show, or that kind of thing. And so, um, all these all these years, uh, you know, I've had a inside track to you know the world of MTV and of Saturday Night Live, and that's just a uh, through Jenna. So I want to say hi to Jenna, and I know she's very excited about everything that's happening uh, for me right now with this. Yeah, so, so to, just to bring our audience into tune what's going on and, and, and how I got to interview you is uh, you're being inducted to the Long Island Music and Entertainment Hall of Fame uh, in August. And uh, I think on a Friday night, right, you're doing uh, doing some music there on their on their stage, and they have a great throwback to the clubs around Long Island when I was a young kid, uh, the OBI, my father's place, and they all have all these different mock-ups. So it should be, you know, a really great time. And I tell you, one of the things that, you know, one of the first things that surprised me is like, he's, he's from Long Island. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I come, came to mind, right. yeah. you know, yeah. so who, yeah, knew, well, who knew? <laughs> yeah. Well, certainly not me. I mean, you, uh, I grew up, you know, growing up in Arizona, I had, uh, you know, no connection to New York, um, and, you know, Long Island is like a completely different country oh, absolutely. than Arizona. Uh, the roads are different. Uh, you know, people talk different. The, the economy is different. The grocery stores have all of these products that we don't have in Arizona. Every, every, you know, it's, it's, it's so much like a different country. It's thousands of miles away. I'm, I'm closer to England on Long Island than I am to Arizona physically. I, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it took me a long time, a long, long time to get used to being, uh, uh, in Long Island. And, uh, it, for, for me to, uh, for me to feel like, it's, it's home. It's home. Yeah. You know, it, and, and, you know, Arizona will always be my home and my heart. But, um, as I say, it took a long time, but I, I do feel a, a, a really deep connection to Long Island. That's where my, my son uh, grew up. And, um, I, my, my family there, the Rossitanos, um, I have, uh, a great relationship with them. I have many nieces and nephews and, you know, they're almost all of them. Uh, Jim Blossoms was their first concert. And, um, now my nieces and nephews are all in, and most of them are all in their thirties now and they're starting to pump out kids. <laughs> and I have a, I have a, a little nephew, Mikey, who's, uh, his Jim Blossoms is his favorite band. And, you know, I was just boring uncle Robin at, holiday dinners and all of a sudden one day he shows up and he's like you're my favorite singer and i was like oh wow you know that the, the five-year-old's impressed with me that's that's something you know so uh anyway all my nieces and nephews i love them to death and um you know i, I i've stayed on long island even after my marriage um i i thought that I would, I always thought that I would move home to Arizona, but it, um, you know, being, being with my son is, uh, very important to me. And I, I just didn't want to be, uh, away from him that much. And even, even though I, I'm still gone so much of the time and I don't get to spend as much time with him as I wish, um, I, I've stayed on Long Island for him 
and to to show him that you know he's he's my priority. Nice. So. Hey, I want to switch gears a moment because not you're not only an artist, but you've you've had a studio uh, for a couple of decades, and I'm really interested in you know how you see things today as a producer, and you know if you can talk about some of the projects you're working on. I know I think you're renovating right your studio here on Long Island. So I'm interested on on the direction you're taking with that. Well, uh, I've built a few studios uh, over the years, uh, home studios and professional studios. Uh, I ran a I ran my studio in Tempe for 20 years, mm. and it, it was a big part of the local music scene there. And um, uh, I, I miss it terribly. I closed it down in uh, 2015, and. Uh, you know, so I, I, I love the I love audio engineering. I'm not I've never really become a Pro Tools engineer. I, I, I really don't like recording in the computer. So mm. I have a beautiful uh, analog four track that I prefer to record on when I can. And I, I wanted my son to be well versed in analog recording. And when you see a when you're in Pro Tools, you know, you've got a graphic of what a mixing board is, but I wanted my son to truly understand what oh, good point. what it was. So I set my studio up so that it's uh, it does have an analog component and you could pretty much just use the analog equipment uh, to, to make records. But um, also being practical, uh, you know, we've, we've got Pro Tools and Logic and all of that. And... I've uh, I didn't save a whole lot of equipment when I closed down my studio, but I I did save this one awesome piece. It's a, a twelve channel Neve sidecar, and so I've got that set up in my studio now, and I'm uh, I'm trying I've, I've I've been trying to find a local recording engineer that can help me in the studio. Uh, and spend some time there. I'd like to do uh, weekly sessions in my studio with my son, and I've been having trouble finding somebody that's available uh, with any regularity. And so the the studio was completed uh, earlier this year, but I've still got aspects of it that I haven't been able to tweak out yet, like the headphone mixes and uh, things like that. And I want to uh, I I have a recording project that I, I want to do uh, sometime soon, and so I want to have uh, the new drum set fully mic'd and um, uh, get really good drum sounds so we can start uh, making real records in there. And so um, perhaps uh, any, any recording engineers that, uh, that might be watching this around Long Island, I'm, I'm looking for someone that can spend one or two days in my studio every week. I've, I've got, I've got somebody in mind. I won't mention his name, but, uh, Pete, Pete knows who I'm thinking about right now. I actually worked on Pete's, uh, original music. He's from Huntington. So we'll, we'll talk after. Okay. Well, if anybody's interested, uh, you can, you know, uh, visit the Jim Blossoms, uh, like, uh, Instagram page and send us a message and, uh, and, and perhaps then, uh, you know, I can find somebody who can help me and my son get the studio like really cool. dialed in. Um, I do have a, a, a project I, I put together a few years ago, uh, with a friend of mine, his, his name is Andy Heron. He's a great drummer. He's in a band called Cabo, and he's played with many other artists in Nashville. And Andy and I have a Halloween project that we did a few years ago called Robin Wilson and the Last Rites. Okay. And we rec we recorded a uh, a, ver a cover version of uh, the Ramones Pet Cemetery, and uh, this was all during the pandemic, and then we, we made a really fun, cool music video, and that's available if you want to see that. It's on the Jim Blossoms YouTube page, and Andy now, he also works for Jim Blossoms. He tours with us as a drum tech, and he and I are planning to record a couple more songs before this Halloween, so as soon as this upcoming tour is over, I want to get home and get with Andy, and he and my son and I are going to record some more Halloween cover songs and hopefully make a few more videos. So um, it's important to me that I get the studio tweaked out. Right, right. Uh, you know, within within the next you know several weeks or so. 
But um, it's a beautiful place. It's the basement at the Rossitano family home. And this time, uh, I, I, I rebuilt it beautifully with really nice acoustic treatments. Mm -hmm. And uh, it sounds great. And the equipment is great. And uh, I've got everything you need to make real records. And uh, as a side note, um, during the pandemic, the house burned down. Oh, my gosh. Um, and uh, it, it was in February of 21. The house caught fire. And it took about a year and a half to rebuild the house. Mm. And when I moved back in, I uh, one of one of my major projects was to rebuild the studio. So um, I really just got it all done uh, about four months ago. Wow. And Great. Uh, it's beautiful. And I, I haven't been able to personally spend a lot of time there, but my kid's down there all the time, and he plays with a couple of different groups, and uh, they like to rehearse there. It's a, a full PA and tons of vibe, and it sounds great. And, uh, uh, you know, having a having a studio is, has been a big part of my life for the last 30 years, and I, I, I love the equipment, and I, I love the, the presence of being in the studio and uh, having that uh, having that tool means a lot to me. So um, uh, I should also mention that uh, during the pandemic, uh, as soon as the pandemic hit, the the, the first thing I did was uh, feel useless. Mm, you know, sure. I, what what pur what purpose do I have in, in this? You know, the most important people at the beginning of the pandemic were obviously the people that worked at the grocery store right. and, uh, you know, the, the, uh, sanitation workers and, the um, uh, medical, uh, the front lines. medical professionals, you know, that that's really the front line. And then, you know, I thought being a rock and roll singer is the, is the most useless <laughs> thing you could be right now. And so I, I decided right away, well, the, the, the only thing I have to offer is, is, is that is music so i went i i went down to my studio and i started recording live stream uh concerts like right away nice. and uh so oh, there's a there's t a ton of content on the jim blossoms youtube page of the shows that i was doing during the pandemic great great and then once once it got warm enough i moved the performances out into my front yard and I started doing shows for my neighbors. I think I, I think so I saw my, one of those videos. Yeah, right on the front lawn. Yep. I hope so. You can catch a lot of that on YouTube and in our Jim Blossom's official page. And so my neighbors in Valley Stream were pretty much the only people in America who were getting quality <laughs> live music nice. during the pandemic. And uh, you know, it it really meant a lot to me. It did give me a purpose. And uh, you know, the best moment of the entire pandemic was. Uh, I would do the shows and then I would run around. All my neighbors were out in their front yards in lawn chairs, sipping wine. And I would put on my mask and I would run around and give everybody <laughs> elbow bumps. And uh, one of my neighbors, a, a wonderful family, uh, the, the mother of the family said, stopped me and said, um, Robin, thank you so much for uh, bringing the whole neighborhood together. And that for me was the was the best moment of the entire pandemic and it, it, my my sense of uh, self-worth uh, was at an all-time high at that point well yeah so, you know music uh, became pretty important as the pandemic went on but yeah i had uh, i did have a question for you um songwriting you know when you write songs you know everyone always asks uh, you know music or lyrics first and you know it's more complicated than that but what's your go-to method you know do you are you the kind of writer who picks it up a little bit every day or do you do it in your head or dribs and drabs stuff like that well um i if i think of something i'll immediately sing it into my phone's voice yeah. memo uh, application because uh i've there have been so many times where i've had a great idea for a song and if you don't if you don't take advantage of that moment of inspiration, it, it'll just disappear. So if I actually hear a melody and a lyric, I'll sing it into my voice memos. Um, what, more often than not, what I do is I have, uh, I come up with uh, ideas for lyrics. I'll, uh, I'll hear or read a phrase that I think 
that sounds like a, a good idea for a song, or that either sounds like the title of a song or a really good lyric, or I'll be in a discussion with a friend or my girlfriend or someone, and you know, a turn of phrase will uh, pop out of the conversation, and I'll think that is that is a great idea for a song. So I have a, I have a physical notebook. I love to write physically. Um, in my notebook, and I'll, I have pages and pages of lyric ideas there, and then I also, I don't always have access to the physical notebook, so I have the notes application in my phone, right. and I've got a whole page of uh, lyric ideas in there, and uh, just the other day, I, 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 put, I, I came up with something that I, that I wrote into that, um, and then, but I'm, I'm not, I'm not the most prolific songwriter and I'm not the type of songwriter that is constantly writing. I, I do my best work when I'm, when I have a timeline hmm. and when, when I know the band is recording in a year from now or in six months from now or something, and I need to, I need to have a batch of good songs ready for it. So um, I, I get into that mode and I become extremely productive once I'm in that mode. Uh, but it's actually been some time since I sat down and wrote an entire song. It's been uh, probably over a year for me since I wrote an entire song. But I've come up with some great ideas in the meantime, and I've got a backlog of stuff I really need to get to. And I'm also working with the Smithereens on writing songs for a Smithereens record. Mm. So I've got uh, lyric and songwriting duties to uh, to get into for that. And so, uh, you know, uh, I'm, I'm planning to spend some time with my son. He's an aspiring songwriter, and... He wants to work together. So uh, is uh, when I get home next week, I promised him we would spend some time down in the studio and uh, I would help him write some songs. And um, anyway, that's my process. It seems to harken back to your early days in the Gin Blossoms where you talked about, I think it was in one interview where you said, hey, you had to raise your game with the group. And it was like sort of a competitive thing uh, mm -hmm. to... Um, be be recognized as as a decent songwriter. So it's it's interesting that being under the gun uh, seems to uh, stick with you uh, with things. By the way, I just got to do a really quick plug. I, I got this uh, book from my daughter for my birthday. Um, uh, Rick Rubin wrote this great book on uh, uh, being a creative and his different processes. And and I'm about a third way through the book. It's real. It's very intriguing. It's something you should uh, think about getting your son because uh, if he's an aspiring uh, songwriter, I think he'll he'll get a lot out of it. Because uh, as an okay, as, that's a great idea. As an old uninspiring uh, songwriter myself, I'm getting a lot out of it. So <laughs> I had a I had another question. Sorry to interrupt, but um, so you know, um, co-wrote with Marshall Crenshaw for "Till I Hear From You," which is you know one of my favorite songs of you know the Jim Blossoms, and then. Just kind of years later, you guys both end up as singers for the Smithereens. And, you know, they were one of your earliest yeah. influences. And what's that been like, you know, kind of a full circle rock and roll thing going there? Well, uh, again, it's 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 those type of connections that mean more to me than anything mm. else that I've been able to achieve. You know, um, uh, you know, I again, I started out at the age of eight dreaming about being a rock singer and to, and I'm just so grateful and humbled to have been able to build a life doing it. And, uh, for my bandmates and I to have built a family and a career together. Right. Um, and then to have those kind of connections, you know, again, I, you know, we got to one day you're listening to the replacements and then just a few years later, you're in the same studio with your recording heroes, with the same guy. Yeah. Um, you know, one day you're listening to REM and the next thing you know, you're in the studio with, with Don Dixon. Uh, one day I'm working at a record store, listening to the smithereens and 
then all of a sudden you wake up one day and you're a part of the band. Um, you know, there's it, it. It's just so gratifying to have had you know literal dreams, literal daydreams, and uh, of of being a rock singer and have been able to build a life actually doing it. It's it, incredibly uh, gratifying, and um, you know we've uh, whatever commercial success we've achieved is is secondary to uh, the idea that we were we were just able to follow our path mm. and, um, and and build a, a life worth living uh, you know with with that ambition and uh, you know and, and that brings me back around to uh, being inducted into the Long Island Hall of Fame, you know, I just can't, it's, it's amazing to me that, you know, the circumstances that brought me to Long Island and, um, what a, you know, what an emotional, uh, experience that was and becoming a part of the Rossitano family and building a life on Long Island. And then to one day get a call and find out, you know, that I'm being inducted to that Hall of Fame. It's it's incredibly moving. And um, like even uh, I mentioned earlier, my all my nieces and nephews, uh, you know, they, I'm I'm sort of especially excited for them uh, and and for for my son and uh, for Jenna. Nice. You know, I think it it, it means more to me for them than it does to me um, for myself. One thing I'm going to say, Robin, when I when I went to the Music Hall of Fame, they opened up last October, coming up on a year. What blew me away, what I think is going to blow your family away, is the company that you're now in. And they have a wall of black and white photos of just a diverse amount of talent from the island that you go, holy cow. Oh yeah, they are from Long Island. Oh yeah, they're from Queens or Brooklyn, which is part of Long Island. And uh, you're in unbelievable company. So it's it's gotta be a great honor. Congratulations. It is a fabulous, fabulous honor. And I'm, I'm, I'm truly thrilled about it. And uh, that's, that's coming up in just a, a few weeks. That's uh, Friday, August 25th. And uh, I'll be performing with my son oh, at great. the induction ceremony. Nice. And then also I'll be performing with uh, with the Smithereens and uh, our our bass player Mike uh, can't be there, but uh, we're able to scoop up uh, another Long Island resident of some renown. His uh, so playing bass with us that night in the Smithereens is Graham Maybe. Now, uh, for people who don't know, he was Joe Jackson's bass player. Oh, amazing! And in and in bass player circles, he's a he's a big he's a big deal. So this this is one of those moments where, like my my bandmates in Gin Blossoms, you know, I was the new guy. Right. You know, I joined. I had never been in a band before. I was just a, a open mic bedroom songwriter, and. Every once in a while, I've kind of overheard, you know, I, I remember about a decade ago, I, I was doing some charity work with a bunch of other rock and rollers uh, participate in this charity called Love the Love Hope Strength Foundation, which was founded by Mike Peters of The Alarm. And I went on a, uh, went on a trip to hike Mount Kilimanjaro, and mm. on that trip was uh, Glenn uh, Tilbrook of Squeeze and Cy Kernan of The Fix, and... Um, I remember getting back from that experience and overhearing our bass player, Bill, just incredulous in the back of the van one night. He's like, where, how did Robin get all this credibility, you know? And, and so, you know, when I, when I tell Bill, our bass player and like, yeah, uh, yeah. Graham maybe was over at my house, you know, uh, playing playing in my live stream performance is, is just one of those things where he just kind of has to shake his head and go, how the, how the fuck did this happen to Robin? <laughs> you know? But um, anyway, so that's coming up August 25th at the, um, at the uh, Hall of Fame. I don't exactly know the location. People have to look that up, but it's August 25th. I believe it starts at 7 p.m. And 
uh, I, I, the, the performance will be a, uh, in, in the middle of the entire thing, and so I'll be performing with my son, uh, do some Jim Blossom's hits, and then uh, we'll be performing as the Smithereens with guest bassist uh, Graham Baby. I tell you, God willing, I'm, I'm going to be there and meet you in person. So if you see this uh, five foot seven, white haired old guy, you know it's Steve Yusko coming to say hello. And uh, it's right, okay, great. It's right in the heart of historic uh, Stony Brook. It's a it's a great uh, place, a great venue, and it's doing a lot a lot for Long Island, putting a focus on, as I say, the. Uh, the wellspring of, of talent that we have here. And I, I, I just really have to say this, Robin, I could see in your story and absorbing your story for the past couple of days, all these nice little breaks that have come your way. And, it, and I could see that you're paying it forward um, in producing and, and what you're doing, your charity work and that sort of thing. And, and, you know, life is tough and, and there are twists and turns, but if we can take them and turn them around to make them a blessing for somebody else, it's really kind of cool makes for a great storybook life for sure it does indeed well i i i do want to thank you so much so much for your time a good friend of mine told me he goes you know we can account for the things we have in our bank and what we own can never account for the time we have left on earth and the fact that you gave me uh, a good portion of your time tonight it's uh, a really a pleasure i really appreciate it it's it's been my pleasure it's been a real pleasure speaking with you steve, steve. great thanks. thanks guys all right until next time take care everybody Thank you for joining us today. I appreciate the time you spent with us. Please subscribe and comment and visit us at gigdestiny.com. Until next time, be generous with your joy, keep your spirits high, and let the music take you on a journey. Be well. Peace. Peace.